Hello, everyone. Uh, today's episode is a not-so-surprise drop. We we teased this at the end of an episode a couple of weeks ago. Um, what you're about to hear is an episode that previously ran on our uh, our Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash the KingCast, wherein we speak to uh, a great writer and commentator by the name of Shiv Ramdas about uh, an Indian TV series adaptation of It that aired back in the early 90s on Indian television. It was a little too outside the box to serve as a main feed episode, uh, and that's why it lives on the Patreon. This is exactly the sort of material you'll find over there if you subscribe. But we also felt like it was, a, quite frankly, a really good advertisement for the Patreon. And it's also an episode <laughs> that we love. So we're dropping it into the main feed today so you can hear it and find out what you're missing out on and, and maybe come over there and uh, join the KingCast Cotet over at patreon.com backslash the KingCast. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad rum! Bad rum! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We have something of an unusual episode for you today. We're going to be talking about, whoa, the 1998 Indian TV miniseries based on Stephen King's It. This particular adaptation is difficult to find these days. Vespi and I have only ever seen clips, actually. And uh, even if you do manage to track down an episode, it's likely it won't have English subtitles. As such, we brought in a guest who grew up in India and speaks the language to give us uh, some some backstory and context for woe, as well as Indian horror and, you know, uh, the people involved and other things we just simply don't know. He's the author of Dome Child, India's first cyberpunk novel, a Hugo, Nebula, and Ignite Award-nominated author of a number of short stories, an associate editor at Escape Pod, and the man behind Twitter's somewhat legendary rice truck thread. If you're unfamiliar with that, go run a Twitter search. You will thank me for it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Shiv Ramdas. Shiv, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Scott. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you uh, here. I I became aware of you through the aforementioned rice truck thread on, on Twitter, and that's when I started following you, and uh, you're one of my favorite follows. Well, and um, then I learned you were an author and, and, you know, the things you've been up to. And just yesterday, in fact, I uh, read a short story you published on Slate called The Trolley Solution. I would recommend that short story, which is not a horror story, more of a more of a sci fi near future thing. But, man, it is a hell of a read uh, to any of our listeners. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it was a pretty fun project. How did that go about coming together? Like, are you just pitching to Slate or did they come to you or? Uh, so they came to me because they, they have this thing called the Future Tense Project where they ask writers who work in SpecFic to come up with the near future scenarios based on, and they have a theme every month. So this month, their theme was education and mm -hmm. what that would look like in the near future. So, I mean, and this is the era of like distance learning and classroom Zoom and all that stuff, right? So it just seemed like a really, really obvious thing to go with my wife's a teacher and uh i meant to show her that story yesterday i'm gonna do it today after we 
after we get off this recording. Uh, I think she'll really appreciate it. Um, it reminded me of a Black Mirror episode. I don't know if you like Black Mirror. That may be that might be an insult to you if you hate it. But uh, it reminded me of that sort of Tales from the Crypty sort of, you know, it's got a yeah. it's got an unexpected ending to it that I didn't see coming. Uh, I'm a big fan, so it's it's lovely to have you here. And with with Woe, we're this is just like a thing that we've sort of been fascinated by for a while. Uh, I remember the Alamo Drafthouse played uh, clips from Woe in the pre-show before screenings of It Chapter One, and it was a thing that I mean, there was no context provided, you know, so the audience was just like, "What the fuck is this?" Uh, uh, so I'm I'm very. I'm very excited to to learn more about it today. Oh yeah, it was. I mean, I can't say I watched all of it because it went on like forever. But uh, I did keep catching it when it came on TV, and it, it, it's pretty much like very characteristic of the mold it comes from. So it's an interesting little bit of work. It is, and we rarely get to discuss. I think this is the first um, foreign adaptation of a King property we've ever discussed on the show. And, uh, yeah, that we've ever focused on. Like, I think it, we, we made mention, what was it? Was it 1408 or something? There was something where, uh, um, I think it was 1408 where uh, a Japanese company remade 1408 into a completely different movie. Uh, yeah, that's there, sort there, of ringing there is this like, yeah, there is like a thread of, of that, that King is such a huge name that, that for whatever reason, you know, that he, you know, he travels uh, cross borders, I guess. And, and people want to adapt, but it's almost what's re- weird about it is It's almost very rarely people who are interested in the book. It's almost always interested in a movie or a TV series. And my understanding, and we'll get into this when we dive headfirst into woe, but my understanding with woe is that it was more the, uh, the nineties miniseries that, that, like influence the the woe project i guess than actually the book itself it's it's interesting in the sense that like they've taken the plot a lot from the original film to an extent and what they've done is then they've added a lot of very well ramsey brothers we'll get into a bit but ramsey brother genre-ish like embellishments that kind of go with this sort of like subgenre of indian horror mm-hmm. or hindi horror i would say I was reading through something uh, yesterday, doing some last minute research on this and reading about some of the plot lines that were added to it. And was like, what the fuck are they talking about? But I mean, they also ran like over 50 episodes of this thing. So, you know, it was going to have to be expanded unless they were just doing the thing like one page at a time. So this may come as a shock to like most Western listeners or viewers, but I was very surprised by how honest they were to the original Stephen King story. Like this is a lot closer than most adaptations in India go. <laughs> That's interesting really like, here. Like how so? Like what do you mean? Uh, well, for instance, you know, they, they have the whole concept of you have the friends in the town and there's the creature that comes back every X amount of years. Mm-hmm. So that's true to the original, although it, it's 15 in the show, because like, for some reason, like all Indian movies and shows need to do multiples of five. Like, you'll okay. never find a weird number like 27, <laughs> or 33, you know, it's like, so a, a lot of Indian cinema of that era is like an exercise in, you're, like you go in with the understanding that your audience is not smart <laughs> when you make the film. <laughs> And that kind of informs the whole thing, which which we can get into a little bit. Like from a craft point of view, it leads to some really interesting stuff that they do as well. Mm-hmm. But, but so, so, for example, like the basic premise is the same. And they actually have a lot of like similar points, like 
one of the friends dies. They come back to the town. There's this other, you know, they take the help of this other girl who wasn't part of the original group to fight the monster in the first place. And then in the second instance, mm-hmm. and, you know, then there's this the creepy area. They have to go into the monster's lair. Like all this is like very true to the original in a sense. They're broad strokes, but they're strokes that kind of, you know, there's there's a bully. Again, it's like that horror, cringe comedy. Like it, it's, 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 Maybe we should talk about the subgenre first, and well, let's 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 put a pin in this because we're. I think we're all really excited to talk about it. Yeah. But before we get to it, I'm. I, I'm. This is something we ask all our guests about. Uh, their Stephen King origin story. When did Stephen King first become a presence on your pop culture radar? Oh, that's very interesting. So the first two times I encountered Stephen King's, he ruined one entire week for me each time. (laughs) So like like the very first time I was five years old and it was the film Firestarter. And I had no idea who Stephen King was. I had no idea what the film was. All I know is there was this girl who was killing her dad with fire. And it freaked (laughs) me out. So I couldn't sleep for a week. So then that happens and I get a bit older. And then what happens? I'm about like eight or nine or something. And so we go to this like party thing where like it's a bunch of parents... And some of them bring their kids. So mm-hmm. so they're like, you know, like, what do you do when actually it's the adults who want to hang out? So like, let's put on a movie for the kids and forget about them. Like, put them in a room. So uh-huh. one of these guys was tasked with finding a film for the kids. So this guy goes to the video <laughs> rental store. He sees this thing with a clown on it. And he's like, huh, this is a children's film. Come, let's take it for the kids. <laughs> so... So when I walk in that room, it's just started. Like, I see a clown with balloons. Like, that's my first image. So I'm like, wow, cool. Clown with balloons. Nice, fun story. And then, like, two and a half minutes later, my, like, my entire week was ruined. <laughs> <laughs> did you end up watching the whole thing? I did not watch it that time. Like, in fact, nobody watched it. Like, <laughs> one of the kids ran screaming from the room into the room where the parents were, like, drinking. It was, like, a whole scene. <laughs> <laughs> that was basically, though, like... You know, that's the same experience we had or our generation had over over here when it first came out. I remember talking about it literally on the playground with kids like the day after each part aired, you know, and how just scared shitless we were by the entire thing. You know, um, there there was this thing about it because it, because it was on network TV, just parents assumed it was totally fine to what let kids watch. And it was like a family thing. At least it was for me and all my friends. Like my my mom was a Stephen King fan, so she should have known better. But I guess because it was uh, just on, on network television. Yeah, it was on network television. So it's like, you, why don't you gather around and make this a family event? Like watching, you know, a prestige TV drama or something. And uh, and yeah, so it's it's I, you can definitely trace that '90s miniseries into a lot into a lot of childhood trauma. I think it's not like parents in India they cared a lot about this kind of stuff back in the day in the '80s and '90s. Like you know, it's like oh, you have nightmares. Okay, our kids have nightmares. You'll get over it. Right. <laughs> Very hands-off approach to comforting the children during... Uh, Yeah, it's more like, if you're not bleeding, don't tell me about it. I've got things to do. (laughs) The opposite of helicopter parenting, whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, Did you you ever read the book, Shiv? I have read the book. In fact, like I, I think it's very interesting how different the end, how bizarre the end of the book is. We never really talk about that. Yeah. That that whole turtle sequence is like something else, right? Yeah, it goes cosmic in the metaphysical. Yeah. Yeah. And that that sort of ties in with the mythology of, you know, other King stuff like the Dark Tower. That turtle yeah, plays yeah. a big role in in that series. Have you read that by any chance? Uh, I haven't finished it. I've read like a bit of it. 
That seems like a thing you'd be into because it it's such a blend of all genres and there's a heavy science fiction element to it. It just gets weird as shit by the end. There's like <laughs> it, were, werewolves, robot werewolves dressed as Dr. Doom with lightsabers and all kinds of shit in it. It gets nuts. That's so Stephen King, though. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, I mean, the, the pop culture really. The first the first books don't really like dig into there. There are flashes of of pop culture in it. You know, Hey Jude appearing as a song in the first book, for instance. Yeah, like. Also, the book is like interesting in the sense that because I came to it after being like, in a sense, so upset by the film when I'd seen a bit of it. Uh-huh. Uh, so when I was reading the book, I actually started identifying super strongly with the turtle. Like he was like my, you know, balance character. It's like he's going to fix it. I don't have to worry about stuff. The turtle's there. Like there's this other <laughs> power to balance. And then you get to the end and the turtle's fucking dead. Yeah. <laughs> and I was cheated all over again. <laughs> Um, what other King have you read, just out of curiosity? So I've actually like really enjoyed Firestarter, the book, at a later point in my life. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all the famous stuff like Carrie, Under the Dome, Misery, that kind of stuff. I yeah. never did read Pet Cemeteries. I've been told by a lot of people that it's something that would freak me out, so I haven't. It's really dark, that one. It's notoriously dark. Yeah, it's it's the kind of read that gets under your skin too. It's not just like, oh, it makes me sad because there's you know dead kids in it or whatever. It's it, th- there's a tone to that book that that really kind of sticks with you. In, in a lot of the way, you know, we've talked about some other horror authors on the show. You know, it, Clive Barker is really good at that. In you read something and it just sticks with you, whether or not it's a great story or not. There's just something about the tone he sets when writing. That like yeah. <laughs> stays on you like a, a film, you know, uh, on your skin, and uh, and that pet cemetery is for sure uh, that with King. It's a very King thing. In fact, like it's really cool you mentioned this because I was rewatching the new film, the 2017 film, like just mm-hmm. to sort of like refresher to our conversation, and that's what I was thinking about throughout the watch. That it's Stephen King just writes memorable stuff, like it sticks with you. Like, you can say what you like about his craft. Like you might like his style, you might not like his style, you might not like how weird he gets, but you won't forget the stuff he puts there. I think right. part of that, though, and you know, this is definitely something we've talked about on the the show before, is that he's playing on universal fears in a lot of his writing, right? Yeah. And so, the, I think in the process, what happens is the iconography of Stephen King or the imagery of of Stephen King becomes instantly iconic. Because it's a universal fear. You know, an evil clown is going to be instantly iconic, yeah, yeah. especially if it's coming through the prism of Stephen King or, you know, uh, Pet Cemetery. you know, the, like a, a dead family member coming back to life or The Shining, you know, uh, yeah. the, the ideas of isolation or, or child abuse or alcoholism. You know, these are all things that all of our lives have been touched by in one way or another. So it does it does stick with you. I think that's part of it. I mean, it's well written, I think. You know, we're fans, obviously, but... Um, I mean, I like Stephen King. Um, there's also, like, the one book I love mentioning because I feel like it doesn't get enough appreciation in general, like, in his amazing pantheon, which is Needful Things. Yes! Yes! Thank you for that. I'm a, I'm a big Needful Things fan. I think that the fundamental misunderstanding that people have with Needful Things is that it's a black comedy. You know, yeah. it's it's meant to be, like just a a pitch black sort of satire of the pettiness of, of human beings in small town America and all of that shit. 
and I don't think people read it as a comedy and, and you really should it. it, it once it you is. have that, when you have that in mind, it changes what that book is. So admittedly, I tend to read most things as comedy at the first touch, but uh, <laughs> right. so like, so I loved like, and I think, in all honesty, I think it has the best premise of any King novel where yeah, it's good, you know, like a shop where you can get whatever your heart most desires. Like it doesn't get cooler than that, you know? Yeah, that's a that's a fucking God damn it. I'm forgetting the name of the author. Stephen King. Nope. <laughs> it's like an O. Henry thing almost. Mm. Ah, you yeah. know, yeah, there's yeah. there's an element of, you know, classic, you know, folklore or something in the idea of a shop where you can get whatever you want. Shiv, what would be your thing if you went to a Leland Gaunt's shop? Uh, the thing in his store that it, that would be your thing would absolutely depend on the time I walked in there. Okay, right now. Good question. <laughs> Good question. Like beer on tap. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me a fucking beer, and you got my soul. That's all I need right uh, now. Like the moment I get these shots, and like this pandemic is done, I'm going to drink so much fucking beer. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait to get back to the bars. I just, I got my second shot this week and uh, just got over being pretty sick from it yesterday, basically. But I feel right as rain now. It's funny how instantly upon recovering from that, I snap back into normal mode. You know, I'm wearing clothes today instead of pajama pants and a (laughs) t-shirt. You know, I cleaned up my office, which has turned into, I mean, I say I cleaned it up, but I cleaned up the desk. Uh, this room is like a, a fucking is a fucking Goblin King's lair at this point. It's just awful. But uh, like putting on clothes and, you know, actually doing my hair, you know, or like doing something yeah. with it. Uh, there's like a, I'm ready. There's I'm mental... ready to get back out there, man. Yeah, it's yeah, totally a, a mental thing. thing. Yeah, because I'm past my, my two week mark on my second shot now. And and like I clean my house and I was like. Like no shit, like room by room, I'm like decluttering 2020 is what it feels like. And each step that I'm doing is like, it's, it's just making me feel more and more normal. It is, it is, it's weird. The the mental aspect, which I was totally not expecting. Like I was expecting, you know, kind of a slow, you know, getting back into the swing of things and, you know, not being afraid (laughs) anytime Mm -hmm. to leave my house, you know, that kind of thing. But no, the, the, the weight that's lifted off, it's, it's, uh. It's something else. I think if someone had told me about that beforehand, I wouldn't have believed it. I would have been like, yeah, but you still can't do this and you still can't do that. And I don't see how it would make that much of a difference. You got a little more freedom. But no, there's really like, at least for me, you and a couple other people I've talked to, there's like a mental switch that flips and you're just like, okay, bam, we're back. You can trust other people again, right? Right. More or less. I mean, well, well, well not all of them. But. I don't feel like my life is dependent on somebody else giving a shit about yeah. more than themselves. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, and I'm, of course, I'm still masking up and I'm doing all that, you know, again, oh, for weirdly, sure. not, you know, one, because the science is still not in on whether or not people who are vaccinated can still be carriers of, of it. It's looking like it's not likely, but until it's for sure. Might as well err on the side of caution. And two, not everybody out there knows that I can't, you know, I'm not, I don't have a big neon sign on my head saying I'm vaccinated, right? So if they just see me walking around without a mask, you know, that's going to freak some people out, rightfully. You know, it's like, you know. You yeah, know, I, was I, don't th- know. I was thinking it's, about that think exact about thing this morning. And what the con- yeah. the conclusion, I uh, th- this is what my idiot brain came up with. 
I was thinking about like, well, say two months from now, there's still going to be unvaccinated people. I figure I figure I'll be wearing a mask for the next few months anyway, if not longer, just just out of politeness. And the like, I'm I'm thinking about the moment where I stop wearing the mask. And I was thinking, like, it would be cool if there was a way to sort of make that clear to everyone without it being obnoxious. And what my idiot brain came up with was, like, I imagined, like, the name tags that you can wear, like the stickers that say, hi, I'm. And instead of your name, it says vaccinated. Right. But then it looks like you're being an asshole about it. Now you're like, I'm vaccinated. Like, you don't want to be like that. So. Wait, you could be like that society lady who just came back from a foreign holiday, right? Like, oh, my arm hurts so much after this vaccination. <laughs> <laughs> Adopting a British yeah. accent, yeah. like yeah, like a, I, I like a student like, that was just, abroad for a semester. Just throw it into everything. Like, would you like some cheese? Yeah, I, I love cheese ever since I got vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, kind of I a big you, deal. I hope you get your shot soon, Shiv, um, so you can get back to the beers and what have you. Yeah, like, I'm sure they miss me at the local. I'm pretty sure I was, like, putting at least one of those guys' kids through in college. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> no shit. All right, let's get into Woe. I'm excited about this. So, Eric, why don't you and I sort of explain everything like <laughs> that the, we know? The depth of, <laughs> yeah, well, we can't explain what we do not know, but, you know, the bare minimum of, of what we know. And I think ours well, are basically the same. Yes? Right. I assume so. Um, the only thing that I've seen from this series, I've read about it online, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only footage that I could easily find was the Georgie scene is on YouTube from from Woe, which has the clown uh, appearing in a swimming pool uh, to Georgie and uh, beckoning him in. And then he, of course, does the he has a boat, even though there is no boat before before then and that, that's what georgie wants and uh that's literally the only like all the footage i've seen I, there was an interview with the guy i think that played the pennywise in there that i started watching but it was uh uh once again not subtitled so i was realized i didn't get much out of watching a, a dude sitting on the couch you know ta- talking in a language i didn't understand right. um but uh, th- that is, you know, that and just some stills are pretty much the only thing I've been able to track down from this. There was a time a little while ago, I, right when we first started this podcast, that I think most of the episodes were available somewhere that you could find. But I guess I guess they all got pulled or they got region locked or something. Yeah, Shiv, you is were that- telling me about that. Yeah, so they are region locked, but in general, they've also moved them all to the website. Like they've started their own streaming service for the channel that it was on. So they're all there pretty much worldwide, but like access isn't there yet. And YouTube, they're pretty much like region locked at this point. So you can't watch them in the United States. Yeah, there is an article that that, that that we both read that like, and I think that's where I pulled the the little tidbit about how they didn't even read the book, the filmmakers, um, because I think that they were quoted in this article about it saying that they like picked up a copy of the book read like the jacket description and that was right. it they were just yeah. hooked by the the premise of this evil that comes back every x amount of years and this this childhood friends that have to come back to fight it um right. and the, and then they essentially just like watched the miniseries and then based <laughs> based it off of that um my favorite detail uh, in that story is that one of the guys eventually gave the book to his sister to read to come up with ideas 
and she couldn't get through the book. She was just bored. <laughs> and so she did it. She, she just bailed on it. Well, but this is so on brand for this kind of like horror. Like, this is completely how I would expect them to have done it. Like, yes. Only... Ed- Educate us on this. We, we I mean, know nothing. So, okay, let me, let, let's start by going back like before the show, like long before the show, back to the 70s, to this family called the Ramsey Brothers, which is basically a set of seven brothers who work in and out of Bollywood. So so what these guys did was mm-hmm. like back in the like, I think it was the mid 70s, maybe the early 70s. Um, they came up with this concept where they were like, so the average film would cost about like 45 or 50 lakhs to make. Okay, lakhs for your viewers who aren't familiar is it's a unit we use in India, which is basically 100,000. Okay. So, so we don't have a million. We have a lakh and we have a crore. So you have 100 lakhs, which becomes like 10 million or the equivalent of a crore. But gotcha. that's not really German at this point. So anyway, so the average film will take you about a year to film it. You know, multiple locations. You got to coordinate with multiple people, costume like the usual film shit, and it costs about fifty lakhs. So the Ramsey brothers, in the middle of a strike, decide that you know what the hell with all of this, we're gonna get people who are desperate to work as actors. <laughs> so the that's Tim and Eric approach. <laughs> yeah. So so what they did was they they hired four buses in four which buses? they. Four buses, yeah, you know, like 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 tour buses. In those buses, they got those four buses, and this is a really cool dipit. They hired four buses, and then they cancelled three of them on the day they had to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, yeah. So they have fifteen members, including several of the brothers. That's your crew. Then they get the actors. Like there's about a few of those actors. They booked this guest house. It's not a hotel. It's like a cheap lodge. They booked eight rooms in that lodge. So they drove everybody there. The costumes, the actors were told to use their own clothes. Like, get your own clothes. <laughs> and the location was the rooms they had rented to sleep in at night in the guest house. And they made they made a film in like 20 days or 30 days for mm-hmm. some obscenely low amount of money. And it cleared about how much it would cost to make a film. Like, it made about 45 or 50 lakhs in the market when it hit. It was a big hit. It like I think it made like 10 times what they'd put into it. Maybe more. A huge hit. Huge hit. Like, like they proved, the fr- like, proved their own formula right out of the gate. Right. right. And, and then, it, then it became a formula because they just kept doing this again and again and again. And it became popular enough to the point where like in, I think, the late 80s or early 90s, they actually they got contracted to do a TV show for a channel called Z, which is the channel that eventually went on to make Woe. So they just take this format and they put it on TV. And when it goes to TV, the only thing that really changes is the length of the stuff. Because right. they're still operating with the same budgets. And So the other really interesting thing that the Ramsey brothers did was they came up with a concept. And I don't know if anybody else has done this. It's, it's like the family horror film where you're going to go with your kids and watch a horror movie. So, so like a like yeah, a poltergeist or like a like a goosebumps sort of thing here? Sort of, but like it's very interesting in the sense that okay, so to contrast it with it is interesting in the sense that so a lot of horror, like especially it, a lot of King stuff is so the focus tends to be on making the audience experience mirror that of the character. You know, like you are feeling the fear of the character, you are immersed in the situation and the tension and so on and so forth. The Ramsey brothers kind of flip that on their head. You will at no point feel as bad as the character. The, so there's the, a distance there, so it's not as intense for younger viewers. Exactly, is that what you're saying? exactly. And in fact, when you watch it, so the willing suspension of disbelief, which is anyway pretty high with horror, is 
is just ramped up and it's really high when it comes to like hindi movies in general and bollywood bollywood tends to require it you have to have a higher threshold for that so the ramsey brothers actually dialed that up to like 21 so so the your generosity as an audience member is crucial to the entire experience right so what's going to happen is you're going to watch a bunch of people on screen and it's actually really comical if you watch it one level like a lot of people watch them as like ed wood films you know the way you would watch it to laugh at them so you'll see characters saying these things which are kind of ludicrous but the characters totally believe it and it doesn't make sense to anybody but them this sort of tracks with like my experience with bollywood films Correct. you know my suspension of disbelief is different than the audience that is normally taking these in And so I find them so over the top that it just becomes e- effervescent or something, you know? Um I I admittedly have not explored that genre very much, but that's that's been my reaction to it. And then I kind of feel like it's sort of how I feel about um Wakaliwood. Are you are you f- familiar with Wakaliwood? Like uh, the in in Africa, they've done like um God Oh, right, it. right, right, right. Oh, I got uh, confused for a second because um so we have a Kollywood like every basic regional area in India has its own wood. So Kollywood <laughs> is also the Kolkata like the Bengali film industry. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm talking about like the guys that did Eric they they did a movie that was at Fantastic Fest a few years ago. Right. I want to yeah, I, I want to call it the oh, oh uh Bad Black, I think right, was right, the right. name of it. Anyway, these these films are so over the top. and they have a narrator on them narrating everything that's happening on screen. I originally didn't want to go to the screening because I felt like I felt like it was it was kind of making fun of these guys. And I thought that was a shitty thing to do. You know, they're making movies. They're living their dream. They're doing what they want to do, but it felt like if I'm in that or audience sort of like chortling at it, like the quality of it, then I'm just kind of being a dick and I didn't want to be part of that and somebody yeah, you're punching me. down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, but I went I went to see the uh um Bad Black and it was w- one of the best viewing experiences I have ever had. One of the most entertaining things I've ever seen, you know. Um so that's what I'm reminded of in right. in this There's just a pure a pure joy of the act of making a movie, you right. know, on, on exactly. screen. And yeah, and and to like what to your point You know, I the, Austin has a surprisingly big Hindi population which I I didn't I wasn't aware of until one of our uh, theaters was like always showing the latest uh uh Bollywood film here and it to packed audiences and uh that theater is long gone now unfortunately but it was the Tinseltown South here in Austin and uh uh and so for a, a period of of months you know my friends and I you know probably in my early 20s you know would go and and watch these you know insane movies and there's not one that's under 3 hours long you know to to western audiences it it was almost looney tunes right it's almost like watching a looney right. tunes cartoon and but it, in i and i think coming away from that experience uh my my taste in in uh um uh any kind of hindi cinema is is going to be laughed at because i like all the stuff that i liked was like i'd bring it up to people who actually know what they're fucking talking about and they just like like you like that that's like liking a rob schneider movie you know <laughs> essentially like i saw a movie called chani chani twak to china oh and, god and, and see everybody <laughs> hated, and i thought it was the funniest fucking thing i've ever seen so you know it's uh that that wait, is wait, wait. what yeah, is it about what is it about it's a who done it 
Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's it's kind of like it feels like an almost an Adam Sandler ish, you know, movie. Like you could like uh, it reminded me a lot of like I and the Zohan or whatever, you know. Um, uh, but like actually, I, I I don't I all I remember is the songs, and I like the songs enough that I like bought the soundtrack on iTunes. So, huh. Well, and, anyway, we completely derailed Shiv. I'm sorry, Shiv. Oh, not at all. Um, it's just it, the comparison point is I think you just like as if you're consuming it like or coming from it from say like the Western genre over as such. Uh, it's just a question of like slightly recalibrating what you're looking for when you sit down to watch that horror film. So you're not really looking for chills all the way. It's more like a holistic entertainment experience, which will s- sort of like slightly focus on scary elements. Right on. So like a theme, like when we dress up a theme park to be like right. Halloween theme. So, okay. So if we're going to circle back and like tie all of this into a bow, it's like the whole Ramsey experience and the offshoot of it and the genre they kind of like created without, I don't know if they even wanted to, but they did is it's almost like it's a very intimate setting in the sense that you as an audience are basically watching the equivalent of a class play, mm, you know, right. in terms of those right. production values and stuff. So like when you sat down to watch a class play and your friends were acting in the play, you didn't sc- uh, jump up and start screaming, Hey, I can see that that fake telephone isn't connected to the wall. You know, you just let it go. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Gotcha. I can, yeah, you can tell that in Eve, that like Georgie scene that, that, uh, that you yeah. can find on YouTube where there's nothing like cinematic about it at all. It is not like where there, there is no layer. Be- it just looks like you walked into your backyard, you know, pool and, and somebody dressed as a clown is just standing there, cool. you know, whatever. It's like you, you got your cousin to put on some clown makeup. Yeah, I'd be mad. Pool. I wouldn't be scared. So right. it's yeah. so I think there's a little layer there worth going into, which is like for one, like India doesn't really have storm drains in that sense, so that scene would never have happened mm-hmm. that way. But more to the point, mm-hmm. like a person, child or woman specifically being killed in a swimming pool is like a staple like thing of Indian horror movies. Really? Yeah, like it it will happen. Like most scary movies at some level will have a scene which has something to do with a with a swimming pool. Like someone is going to be either in danger of dying in a swimming pool, or they will die in a swimming pool, or they'll find a body in a swimming pool. Why is right. that? I mean, don't ask me. I <laughs> swim. It's just there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's, like, it's it's probably what happens is like, it tends to be like, the way these things tend to work is like, one film will come up with a really iconic scene that does it. And then others will like, try to have that scene in there either as homage or, hey, it worked. Hey, the swimming pool scene was really scary. Put in a swimming pool scene. <laughs> it's almost like, if you think about it, like <laughs> after Psycho came out, like what if like for years and years, Producers were like, I need a shower murder. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> Are swimming pools common in India? Like how how common is that? So it's it's interesting, right? Like it's like it's like the marker of being a rich person, like a really rich mm. like if you're like one of the the sick rich, you'd have a swimming pool. Okay, gotcha. So I mean, I don't know what the US equivalent would be, but like maybe it would be like a country club membership or something of that sort. Like a but... panic room, maybe? yeah except like a panic room is like a negative thing right in that self like if you're using your panic room it's not a good situation (laughs) well i guess that's true i'm just trying to think of like uh, like something that could be used for a thriller that is also uh common to the super rich well okay so an example like so a lot of the british stuff of like that was set in like you know the agatha christie era and stuff like that like Mm -hmm. they do a lot of this stuff with golf courses you'll find lots of bodies on golf courses and murders and golf courses. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> yeah. 
And that's almost like the equivalent, right? Like the rich yeah, person uh, yeah, is chilling out, sense. enjoying their life. And that place they go to like chill out and be better than us is where they died. It has been profaned. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, you know, they're not safe even in their happy place. Like, none of us is safe. Right. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, so how does this okay. lead to woe? Okay, so, like, so this kind of connects in the sense that, like, so the fact that that scene was in a swimming pool has a little bit to do with that. It also has to do with the fact that, so one of the things the Ramses were very strong, and, like, they were very hardcore about two elements that most of their stuff would have, and th- that was A was supernatural and B was sex. There would be some combination of these everywhere, mm-hmm. especially in the 80s. They kind of petered out of the sex towards the 90s when they went into like TV and when children specifically were like almost the main audience. So, but the supernatural never really went away, right? And like, woe has a lot of elements like that. I don't know how much of the series you followed, but one of the weird deviations is they suddenly become, they start chasing this magical jewel. They call it a money. And then there's this whole subplot when they go back to the town where they're trying to get their hands on this diamond and the cops are chasing them and the cops think they've stolen a diamond. (laughs) And they actually do have the diamond. Now, it's interestingly supernatural and mythological in the sense that obviously the diamond has powers and significance and stuff and I don't honestly remember where it was. But a money in itself is like a mythological gem that you have in a lot of Hindu mythology, which is another thing that tends to happen a lot. Like a lot of the monsters, a lot of the supernatural elements will be drawn from mythology in some sense. So not to deviate too much, but like, for example, the Nagin or like the female serpent, a very typical setup, which has happened like 500 times in films and shows in India is a group of guys accidentally kill another guy. But that guy was not a guy. He was a Naga. And now his bereaved wife is going to hunt them down one by one and kill them for revenge. (laughs) That's a specific thing. Yeah, yeah, and what I mean when I say specific, there's like there must be like twenty five or thirty films like this. High so budget a, film. It's a trope. Then it's a trope. Yeah, like the vengeful noggin is totally a trope, and I don't know if the Ramses invented it, but they had a hell of a lot to do with making it popular. Is Pennywise mm-hmm. in well a noggin? Noggin? No. Am I no, saying no. So, that right? A noggin. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. You're saying it right. But no, like Pennywise is. Okay, so this is where it gets really weird, right? Like Pennywise, there is no reason for Pennywise to be a clown other than the fact that they probably like the imagery on the original. Gotcha. Mm. Like there's no connection with the clown there. They do create an interesting motif that I don't quite recall if King had, which is every time a child disappears at any point of time, you will find balloons left over there. Oh, well, that makes sense. That makes sense within this mythology. Yeah, so within the story, it does make sense. I actually thought it was a kind of a cool touch in the sense that, you know, like mm-hmm. the the uh, the evil being leaves its calling card every time. Yeah, he's which, like the Joker leaving a card around. Yeah, yeah, which is, and, 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 and I'm pretty sure there was like, I'm guessing, but I'm pretty sure there's some kind of influence there where like, if you, so the the way the, the woe or the creature or the being or whatever you want to call it is, so it kind of gets depicted in slightly different ways, like, in King and in the Western depictions, it's really this malevolent, completely malevolent being where, where if you come face to face with it and you're not, everything is not sorted, you will die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas in this, the equivalent of, uh, I think, was, this, was he Billy? He was Billy, right? Like the brother of Georgie? Yeah, Bill Denver. Bill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you will have scenes in war where the equivalent of Bill as a child comes face to face with the monster and the monster's like, yeah, you're never going to get your brother back. He's with me. One day I will get you as well. You will come to me on your own. And they have all these like toxic masculinity face-offs and, and then war fucks off. 
<laughs> why why does he fuck off? Like he, he does he enjoy the taunting more than actually getting Bill? Well, it also has to do with like they had to go 52 episodes, right? <laughs> fair. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, fair enough. So I mean so there's a lot of stuff like that. It will just be like there's a lot of like scenes which are super padding like so for instance there's one scene where they get arrested by cops for being suspicious basically. They suspect them as they suspect these friends as being the reason why kids were vanishing and disappearing. Mm. Gotcha. Because of course nobody in the world of the story except these kids is smart enough to realize hey kids vanished the same way 15 years ago maybe there's a connection. But obviously the cops don't get that which is not surprising actually. <laughs> But it, it, it's weird because you're mentioning all these things that kind of pop up a little bit in the second Muschietti film, you know, like because they make Bill, they, no, the adults don't suspect him as being behind the, the kids disappearing. But you could easily see that like the, the kid that that's living in his house, the one that dies in the in the fun house that he's trying to protect. Um, you could easily see how that would be the next logical step that he happens to be there when this kid is, yeah. you know, found murdered and, you know, it's just him and this kid, you know, found in this, yeah. this, you know, mirror hall of mirrors or whatever. Um, and, uh, you could see that they're like dipping their toes a little bit in the, into that thing. I, I, I doubt that woe influenced, uh, the Mushietis, but it, so, it's, it's, you can see the same line of thinking, of, you know, like what in the real world, if all these people suddenly came into town at the same time that all these kids were disappearing or ending up dead, you know, of course they would be on a, you know, on some sort of short list for, for suspects. And I have something to add to that to loop back around to something Shib was saying a, a moment ago about the idea of Pennywise just fucking off or woe fucking off. That, that was one of the one of the flaws that became apparent in it. Chapter two was like Pennywise would show up and taunt the adults, but you're like, why doesn't he just kill them? Like, yeah. he could kill them, but he keeps letting them get away. And obviously, I understand there's no there's no conflict, there's no drama or or horror even if he just kills them all immediately. You know, this is, these are the stakes, you know, so you want those scary scenes. But that was something that became very apparent in it, Chapter 2 to me. It was like, you know, this idea of the monster not just doing what it, should be doing you know sort of sort of toying with them rather than than just killing them i almost feel like that that that's actually like flawed construction as you were saying because if the excuse or reason that we can come up with is there was a narrative creative craft reason why this had to happen like these are like blueprints that a reader should not be having to deal with right 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 i agree with that you know it was it's true to the book in the sense right this is essentially what happens in the novel, but I think visualized, it becomes far more apparent that that Pennywise is holding back in some way, or that he is ineffective in his job to some degree. You <laughs> well, know, I think I, in the in the book it becomes more about be realizing that Pennywise is scared of them and doesn't want them to like he's he's projecting all this strength, but he also knows these kids as kids hurt him when they shouldn't have. So as adults, they shouldn't have any power over him. And he knows that, but there's also a bit of him that's just worried and is trying to tell him to fuck off and don't even try. Right. right Instead of right. attacking outright, you know, cause he doesn't, he's, he's not the one that shows up and kills Stan, you know, like he right, doesn't have right. anything to do with, with Stan's death other than the trauma, you know, that he inflicted, you know, on, on the childhood. So it's not like he shows up and cuts his wrists, you know, whatever it's like, 
So he doesn't really want that confrontation. And it's not something that is explicitly shown in the in the second Muschietti film, which leads to the same problems that you were just saying, that it, it just feels like we'll just kill them because you don't have any of that. The hints that he's scared of of them as a group. Yeah, that's 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 true. And also, if it's if it's like a thing that feeds on your fear, it's going to want to get some of that fear before it kills you. You know, yeah, right. True, it has true. a few snacks before it fucking does the deed. So, so the, I, yeah, I get it. So the slit wrist is actually a really cool example because like, it's another example of how, you know, like a substance item will be kept in the adaptation, but the meaning and metaphor or whatever, everything around it is going to change and be localized or whatever. So in war, there is a scene with slit wrist, except that it's not a child. It's the wife of one of the grown up protagonists. And here's a cool piece of trivia. That guy who is playing the protagonist, like the main protagonist in a sense, is um, he's also a director of one of the highest grossing Bollywood films of all time. It's a film called Lagan. Mm-hmm. Yes. What's and, that guy's name? Uh, his name is Ashutosh Gowarikar. Okay. Right on. Right on. So anyway, so his wife is so upset and worried that he's going to go back to this place where shit happens. That she slits her wrists to like make him take her to the hospital instead. So... That's the sort of like localization. Like lots of this stuff happens, right? Like uh, I don't know how much. Okay, I'm just going to spoil the whole thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah so, so for instance, you can't have. So there has to be like an explanation for everything, which does not. So you can't just have war being like this malevolent entity without explanation. That doesn't fit right. the Ramsey mold. So in this, they come up with this really bizarre story where. Okay, here's a cool part. They actually meet it slash war's mother by the end of it. What? Yeah. Yeah. So they go to the cave, like the lair or whatever, eventually. And there they meet the mom. And the mom's like, actually, my son is misunderstood. <laughs> Classic mom Yes, behavior. he murders yeah, the children. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the deal is supposedly that he, like, he was like a normal child, like her child. But everybody made fun of him for being too short, so he killed himself. And now he's angry with kids. Now, this was a thing with the actor, right? Like the actor that portrayed Pennywise, he had... He had been something of a, a, a commercial star in India or doing music videos and such, but he was picked on because of his his stature. It was like a really short dude. Yeah. And that's part of the backstory. They the, like his backstory here is more tragic than. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's an attempt to like cast him as like in some level sympathetic. So mm-hmm. but it's also like uh, they have to bring an element. So for instance like the ramsey brothers were obsessed with demonic possession like like beyond obsessed like they were to demonic possession what trump was to ratings you know <laughs> okay so it had to be there so so by the end of it woe gives up the whole pennywise guys and he goes and he possesses a child of one of these protagonists mm-hmm. and then there's this whole sequence where you have to exorcise the child and save the child and like bring peace to the spirit that has been malevolent all these years and all that jazz I read something about how, like in the book, uh, like in the in the American version, uh, Pennywise resurfaces every twenty seven years, right? Right. You know that's when he starts to feed again. So twenty seven years after the the kids defeat him, oh, he popped back up again. You know he's up to his old tricks. You know, and I I read that in Woe, Woe's reappearance is marked by a, a solar eclipse, which is apparently also some uh, something of a Yes. Trope uh, or yes. like I, I'm, I'm I don't want to use the wrong word because I don't want to be insulting if that's a, a religious thing. Well, it's I don't know about I, to my knowledge, it isn't. But 
yeah, like weird uh, environmental stuff happening is very much a trope. But it's interesting that Shyamalan, who's like an Indian director, also tends to use those a lot. Hmm. And to the best hmm. of my knowledge, Shyamalan has been pretty much in the United States his whole life, and his entire exposure and everything has been to like Western film for the most part. Right. And yet he sometimes somehow carries that motif over, which I've always found very very interesting. Yeah, hmm. that is interesting. Um, he oh, must I, have I'd absorbed like to... that though, like through whatever his parents showed him. I don't think he he couldn't have been living on, like solely on a diet of yeah agreed. of American films. You know, they're they're his own family must have exposed him to some of that. So maybe that's what we'll ask him about it if we we ever get him on the show. I'd love plus to talk to Shyamalan, by the way. Plus, at some point, if you're getting into this and you're serious enough to make it your life and your work, you probably like go beyond what you were just exposed to, like casually, right? Yeah, for sure. Right. Oh, you're gonna do your research. Yeah. I mean, like, if you're uh, planning to be like this thriller horror filmmaker, you would see as many of these films and. TV shows as you could, right? No, for sure. I wonder if Shyamalan has seen Whoa. You got to assume he's at least familiar with it, right? I, I wonder what he would do if he had to make it. It would probably look a lot different, for one thing. Yeah. And then Whoa would be killed by salt water in the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he would drown in a puddle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, he already used that one, so it would be like something more innocuous, though. Like it would be like beef jerky can destroy him or, you know, like something that's just readily available everywhere. That's actually one of the cool things Shyamalan like almost has in common with the Ramsey brothers where he, like, if he has like an objective he wants to fulfill in the movie, he gives no fucks beyond that point. Like, totally, like, totally. You have all this set up, but you know what? All of this is just an exercise for me to explore like the fucked up dysfunctional dynamics of my family while the world burns. <laughs> he will absolutely commit to the bit. I think that's actually the true reason behind the success of the Ramsey Brothers thing. Like, like they they strutted their their strut, so to speak. Eric, you had so, a question a moment ago. I think I do. I, I I'd like to circle back to the whole idea that uh, <laughs> once again, an odd parallel to the second Muschietti film is that that film ends with bullying. It's you know, it's one of the the sour notes for me on. Uh, on that film is that the big solution to defeating Pennywise is to bully him to death, which I think is the absolute wrong fucking thing Method, you know, yeah. for our grown up heroes to do. Uh, but, you know, but it's interesting hearing about what the, you know, how woe ends and that it's very much about, you know, bullying is tied into uh, the origin of this creature and, and the cruelty that, that, uh, hmm. uh, that he suffered, that he's revisiting upon other people. Now it is, you know, I don't know what what the question is there, but I think that that's really an interesting parallel. No, I, I hadn't made that connection, but that's that's true. That is true, yeah. and it's also interesting in that. Um, so the bully is there in war as well, but like the bully or his sidekick—I don't remember which—gets possessed and is like working for war at one point of time because obviously. So yeah, that Henry Bowers kind of does the same thing in you know the Stephen King version, yeah. Yeah, so in this version, he actually comes to the police station to taunt them and stuff like that. Huh. The and, police and, just know, let like, him stroll in and yeah. And so talk actually, shit. A, Yeah, there's actually a really hilarious scene where, and this is what I mean, like this genre will try to squeeze comedy out of if it's there. So there's this entire right. scene where in a very comical fashion, you watch them tiptoeing through the police station, avoiding the police to get to the cells till they finally get caught. <laughs> and then there's this really weird exchange where 
this guy claims he's come to return the 50 bucks that the cop gave him like imagine this a cop gave someone money out of compassion <laughs> <laughs> and then the cop's like no no i will not take the money back i gave it to help you <laughs> is that does that translate because that's absolutely not happening happening in america i i have to assume I mean, then that the same is true in India. So, like, yeah, I mean, like, cops are the same pretty much everywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, but the trope of, like, the inspector who's, like, a helpful guy and trying to help downtrodden people in society is a thing that happens a lot in, like, Indian films. And it's always that particular rank, by the way, which is very interesting. It's like that specific rank is the good guy. The guy below him is a buffoon. The guy above him is either corrupt or a buffoon or both. <laughs> <laughs> So a well, lot of that's that's probably a lot like uh, yeah. Sorry, no. I was just gonna say it's probably a lot like real life, but I'm already retracting that because now we're talking about good cops, and I'm just not. I'm yeah, not a yeah. cop guy, so so I, I don't want to overstate anything here. Yeah. So like, so in Indian films, like cop films and stuff, a lot of the comedy will come from the Havaldar, which is the guy below the inspector usually. So he's going to be a buffoon, and him being yelled at by his boss will provide a lot of the comedy. Like Proctor in the Police Academy series. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So anyway, to circle all this back, what happens is that they get access to the jail because they're like, we want to see the prisoners. And the cop's like, why the fuck do you want to see the prisoners? And this guy, without missing a beat, like, because if I later have to identify them in court as these murderers, I'll be able to recognize them. And the cop's like, yeah, that makes sense. Go look at them. Do they allow uh, swearing on Indian television? No. Like, no, what are the no, rules like, over there? Like, it, it depends. Like, there's certain, like, as with everywhere, there are certain words that are okay and ones that are not. And it's interesting how it works. So, um, the, when it comes to English swearing, like, they probably usually, bastard is probably as far as you go. But bastard is, like, saved for hardcore moments. So, yeah. like, if you're genuinely upset with someone, you'll be like, you bloody bastard. But no and, mother, like no motherfucker. No, 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 none of that. Like, like fuck and variants will not appear on television. Like they'll appear on like edgy shows and stuff that's like for Netflix and things like that. But like public, oh, maybe they'll get. You'll probably have to get like a different like censor certificate if you had those in there. Gotcha, gotcha. Which is something that matters a lot in India, like the censorship certificate. So, like filmmakers versus the censor board is like a whole thing. Like they're constantly fighting. How about how about the violence in in Woe? You know, I ha- obviously I haven't seen it, but uh, it is a gruesome story. Uh, it's got some hyper violent scenes in it. Is the violence maintained in Woe? And and what are the parameters on Indian television for that kind of thing? So violence in the Ramsey Brothers, in the sense, seems it's interesting because like the violence is never like. It's never very intense violence in, in the sense that like they, even if like intense stuff is happening, they're going to like make it happen. And like you're not going to have a lot of gore. Like you don't see a lot of gore. So if you have to compare it to the 2017 film, there is no way a kid's arm is going to be bitten off and then he's going to be like crawling around with blood spurting everywhere. That's not going to happen. How about so, in movies? Yeah, no, it's not going to happen. Like unless it's like the movie, because the moment you do that, your censor certificate becomes like, you know, only for adults. And then you okay. lost like basically 80%. So the I, th- film I thought you were teams... talking about, I thought you were talking about television only. I'm sorry. No. So the certification is for film only. Like the television thing is a whole different thing where I think the channel themselves will determine. And then, the, you know, there's a standards council and all that. And they will from the government. So they will have to deal with them. And I honestly don't know. 
how much of this I should talk about because I'm not an expert and I don't want to like give anyone the wrong impression of how the system works. Well, go ahead. But <laughs> for the most for, for the most part, it's like the interplay is between the channel and the government. So all censor boards in India are government, basically. Mm-hmm. So so it's basically, you know, the channel or the producer of the film or the owner of the channel and the producer of the show of the channel versus the government. And then they're trying to like convince them, no, give me a certification where I can get more people in. I can... So film watching is traditionally viewed as a family experience in India. Gotcha. So you want a general certificate so you can tell people it's okay to come with your kids and like have a family outing and watch the film. Because if you don't do that, then you're immediately like, like entire families will not show up, right? Like there are a lot of families that can't show up if they can't bring the kids. Right. So, I mean, horror as it is, is a niche thing. Now, if you're going to like create horror, which needs to like basically work for single people, you, you're going to have issues. Well, and it sounds like on, on television, it, it's very much kind of where TV was for us in like the Brady Bunch era, maybe, where yeah, it's, it's just, like that. You, you just didn't like Roots was groundbreaking because it actually showed like, you know, slavery, the horrors of slavery and people getting whipped and and like that was a shocking, huge shocking thing. I, I, and again, just my one little experience is the the two minutes of, of the Georgie scene that are on YouTube. And in that one, Georgie's death is just shown like somebody sees on a security cam him fall into a pool by himself and he like runs down to uh to go try to help him or whatever and when he gets there there's like no sign of the kid anywhere yeah yeah yeah. so like there there is no like the pennywise doesn't even like pull him into the pool or anything you just kind of see him fall into the pool himself i mean yeah that that seems actually hilarious because he's supposed to pull him but you can literally watch the kid jump into the pool yep (laughs) (laughs) We, uh, when I, 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 uh, was one of the people running birth movies death for a number of years. And, uh, at one point, uh, one of our writers, one of our contributing writers, uh, sit on Adlaka went to interview, uh, the head of Indian censorship and got thrown out of his office, yeah. which was, yeah, it had to do with, um, I think it was office Christmas party of all things. And like he he landed this interview and was like, hey, I'm going to go in there and talk to this guy about it. And we're like, yeah, fucking totally. And uh, went in there and challenged him on his, you know, on his viewpoints and ultimately got thrown out of his office. I I remember when he turned in the uh, copy for this interview, we were like, this happened like this. Seriously, like it was so outrageous that. we couldn't wrap our heads around it. And then he sent us the audio, you know, just as like, you know, proof of life basically. Yeah. And, and that shit absolutely happened. It was, this was, man, this must've been four or five years ago, but man, that was, that was some wild shit. They don't fuck around with that stuff over there was my, my big takeaway on that, on that situation. Well, to a large extent, like without getting too much into the weeds on this, but, because it's the government, it basically means that every film certification is at one level a political issue. So, so at one level, like if there's a film which is let's say let's say there's a film which has a lot of sex and violence, and it gets allowed for kids to watch it, when there is backlash, that becomes backlash against the government per se, because the government oh, is I the see. one issuing the gotcha. certification, and then suddenly you can't campaign on family values anymore, right? Right, right. I gotcha. Now, I'm not saying the line is that direct always, but there are elements of this in there. So anyway, like, 
So how are you ha- like if you're living in India and you want to see something like a like a it chapter one, how are you seeing it? Are you just watching bootlegs? They don't call us the piracy capital of the world for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nature finds a way. You yeah, know. but 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 on a more serious note, like you know, there's like well, in this era, it's changed a bit because like VPNs and you know you could pretty much like log into Netflix US from India and just watch true. it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. In previous eras, you know, that was the era where you'd have like all kinds of like DVD stores which would shadily send it to you. There would be stores which would have two copies. Like there would be one normal copy and one like not censored copy. And you pay like two rupees extra for the non-censored copy. But it, they weren't like prohibited by the government. It just wasn't easy to find. No, no, no. It's all illegal, but it was easy to oh, find. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Right. So India has pretty much all the same laws everyone else has about piracy. It's just that like nobody cares. <laughs> just not enforced. Yeah, I mean, it's actually changed a lot over the last, like, maybe 10 years or so. I'm talking 90s, early 2000s, but especially in the 90s, piracy was probably, like, the single most profitable thing you could do besides drug smuggling. I can imagine that being the case, you know, given the circumstances. It's weird that the government wouldn't crack down on that if their real concern was preventing people from watching it. Yeah. You know, but also, like, you know, people are going to find the shit they, they want to hear. When, you know, uh, Russia, many decades, like, like banned uh, certain musicians from playing or, or didn't, didn't want to release albums in that country. Uh, also, you know, you could get those albums over there. It was just a matter of who you knew. Right. Yeah, it's something like that. But the other part is that uh, it did lead, they did do stuff like anti-piracy campaigns. And like those anti-piracy campaigns were like the reefer madness campaigns now. Uh, that happened earlier. <laughs> like they're wild. Like they, some of those ads were just like beyond anything you've ever seen in your life. So like one of them which played in movies, like before you went for a movie, there are ads, right? So this would be one of the ads always. And it's basically like a factory kind of room. And where there's this guy standing there and he's literally got an eye patch. Okay. Because he's a pirate, you see. <laughs> so and and then he looks at the camera and he's like, and he's like, no one can stop us. We will do whatever we want. And then he turns to the and he turns to the left and there's like four other guys. He looks at them and he's like, do more piracy, do more piracy. And then they're all tapping at the computers doing piracy. And then the voiceover comes like, don't enable these evil people. <laughs> I when you <laughs> when you said about the eye patch, I was thinking like. My first thought is like evil Spock, you know, like, you know, like, uh, like an eye patch usually denotes like in, in American pop culture, a lot of times, like, uh, like an eye patch denotes like the evil version of something, you know, and I didn't even make the connection to pirates. That's funny as fuck. That's like if he had a hook hands or a parrot on his shoulder. He also had that striped shirt, by the way, which that sailor striped shirt no. thing. <laughs> and this whole thing is happening in Hindi, and I don't know how to explain this, but it's way funnier in Hindi. Oh, but but he literally is turning to the left and going like, "Chalo, chalo, karo piracy." <laughs> like, and just imagine a pi- someone who's into like video piracy, like turning to his friend and being like, "Let's do piracy." And then they got to commit to it. They gotta, they gotta get the striped shirt. They gotta get the eye patch. Yeah, it's so like. When I watch those ads, I'm like, I'm not even sure if, like, the actual objective was to stop piracy. As much as to say we have an anti-piracy ad, like, I genuinely don't know. Like, I don't know who watched that ad and was like, okay, I won't do piracy. 
Well, that's mm-hmm. like we had we had ads on TVDs for years that were like, "You wouldn't steal a car, <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't steal a house." Like, why would you steal a movie or some shit like that? And it was like, well, because if I if I stole a car, the owner's going to complain and and notice that <laughs> immediately. But if I live in this country, uh, you know, if I steal a movie, uh, yeah. no yeah. one's going to know about it unless they trace my I- IP address. You know, I'm leaving less of a trail of breadcrumbs, maybe. I spent years looking for one person who didn't smoke weed because of the reefer madness ads. <laughs> if anything it's an advertisement at Isn't that it? point yeah i mean yeah, at, anytime... at, at reefer madness levels if i had I seen mean, reefer madness you... when i was like i was like anti any kind of drug or like like my dad smoked when i was growing up right and all they taught us in schools was that smoking is bad don't don't do that it is bad by the way you know and i i quit smoking some years ago and uh, i'm grateful for having done that but it was beaten into our heads to such a degree that I used to like cut up his pack of cigarettes with scissors when I was like five or wow. six. Wow. And he would just be like, what the f- oh, motherfucker? Now I got to go back to 7-Eleven and would just be and I'd be like, they they said it's bad. You're not supposed to do this. You're evil. And he'd be like, I just fucking <laughs> man, you know, and he's like, you can't rationalize with a seven year old. You know, he's just like, <sighs> Yeah, like you can't tell your your seven year old child like I know it's bad for me. I'm doing it anyway because I like it. You know they're right, but also and I'm wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. You can't you can't have that conversation. So it was like, well, not if you want to eat vegetables at night. <laughs> <laughs> I should have used that against him. So yeah. was was Woe like a, a popular show when it aired? Was this a like a ratings hit? You know, I don't remember because in the sense that you don't often hear of shows getting pulled super quickly because the ratings didn't work out. Like the media market, at least in the 90s, was a lot more forgiving than it is here. Mm -hmm. So if it ran 52 episodes, you can say it was at least a middling hit. Yeah, I was going to say something about that. Like, but I also don't know, like, what the duration of your average TV show is in India. So, you know. Well, okay, so for context, the Z Horror Show, which is a show that the Ramsey brothers created for ZTV. So that ran about six or seven years mm-hmm. in, in under two different names, which is also an interesting thing, right? Like in the sense that they had to change the name because somebody went to court against them saying that because there's so much supernatural stuff and superstitious stuff in this, this show is actually like spreading superstition amongst children. Hmm. So for reasons of like scientific <laughs> temper and morality, the show should have to air only after like 12 a.m. at night. So gotcha. in order to like circumvent so that, like, they change the name of the show. How did, yeah, what were it. the two names? So I think the second one was called Unhoney, which basically means that which can't happen. I think that's the closest exp- uh, like translation of Unhoney. Well, that'll keep everyone safe. Yeah, so, so and the thing is, like, there's been a lot of like copycat shows of this format. Like, these are just the couple. There was like basically every channel at one point had like some version of this show. Well, that was another question I have. Are there any other Stephen King properties that have been adapted for Indian television or movies? So that's the beauty of Indian television and movies, right? Like, even if they were, you'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Actually, let me completely derail this. Is is Stephen King sold in India? Yeah, it sells, but you'll find his books in bookstores, but at nothing like the level that you find them here, obviously. Like, you'll find the famous books there. So you'll okay. see it all over the place. You'll see, you know, you'll see uh, Firestarter, you'll see Shining, that kind of thing. But right. you're the not going to find. Yeah. But you probably will have to go to a pretty select shop to find a pet cemetery, even though it's a famous book. Hmm. hmm. There's a different standard for books versus movies and television. The, well, the difference between censorship on these two fronts is visualization versus text. So the English language book market is small, right? Comparatively right. in India. So it's not like a people are paying huge amounts of attention to it unless it's something that actively someone is complaining about to a court. <laughs> so so something that happens a lot with books in India, someone will go to court saying it offended their sentiments. Usually re- offended religious sentiments is the phrase that comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's when, you know, like people get involved, sense, governments get involved, pressure gets put on publisher and books get changed or pulled or whatever that stuff happens. But if it's like an existing book, like Stephen King's It, for instance, like that's probably just a situation where like a distributor or a bookstore wants to just like have copies there because it's a book that sells like by the millions. Right. And it's a really successful book to have. So it's like good business to have the book. But there isn't censorship in that sense. Like, okay, so like, to move into a rather darker space, like India is a country where you will find a copy of Mein Kampf in every bookstore. There is nothing against selling it. I have nothing to add to that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, that's usually the conversation ender. That's when you say, I'm getting my hat. <laughs> um, is, is it just because it's a breezy read or is it? Is it just... <laughs> so now we're getting into like some. It's uh, a like, beach read. <laughs> It's a beat the beach read, or is it just purely because it's not? Uh, you could, I would not, but you could look at it as a historical text, right? Versus something that's more for entertainment. So I, I could There's kind just of not the stigma. Some, yeah, I mean, it, it's a combination of factors. Like for one, it just sells a lot of copies, so that's one reason people have it, and another reason. <laughs> And another reason people have it in their bookstores is because there is a really weird middle-class fascination with Hitler in India. What? Really? Why? Yes. I don't know. You'll find... That, okay, so behind my parents' house in Lucknow, like Uttar Pradesh, there is a clothing shop called Hitler. <laughs> what? It has nothing to do with Hitler. They don't sell Nazi memorabilia or anything. They sell t-shirts and shorts and sarees and stuff, but the shop is called Hitler. But when, like, the, the T-shirts and shorts and what have you don't have, like, swastikas on them? No, no, no. And, and again, the swastika, like, is... So the swastika is, like, a complicated thing because, like, in India, there's swastikas all over the place. So, uh, like, they're, they're mostly seen as, like, Hindu religious uh, symbology. Okay. Right. Well, fair. Not, not tied to the How do you the differentiate, yeah. then, between w- I mean, what the... I mean, they look very different, right? Well, I don't know. Like, okay, what... So... <laughs> So the Hackenkraus is like, it's like at a 45 degree angle and all that stuff happens, right? Whereas the swastika okay. is usually like straight up and they also look a bit So it's the, it's the angle of the fucking, the cross? Well, it's the angle, it's the inscriptions inside it, it's the, what happens at the little spindly ends, what do you do with those? There's lots of stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I get it. I mean, I get it. I mean, th- there's like thousands of kinds of swastika, so to speak, right? Uh, just a universe of swastikas. 
but I, I understand how like one will represent one thing and one will represent the other. So I, so I, I, I can totally understand that, but they're not even selling at the Hitler store. They're not even selling like the, the okay version. I mean, so the things like the whole concept of Hitler is really, really weird in Indian pop culture in a sense where like, Nothing is ever mentioned about Hitler being like this genocidal maniac who is just an all-around terrible human being, right? Like, Hitler is like a synonym for hard, stern person. So you'll have scenes where a guy will walk in and be like, I am the jailer of this jail. I am Hitler. You will not fuck around on my watch. Holy fuck. Huh. Yeah, because definitely in America, there's an obsession with uh, I, I wouldn't say Hitler, but like World War II in general, like mm-hmm. from the boomers on, you know, the the just in a pop culture sense, you know, the Nazis being the go to bad guys and and, you know, the, the, the whole the whole uh, uh, history channels devoted to, I mean, you know, to what happened in World War Two and, and all that. But I think so much of that is tied to that's like one of the last times America as a whole country could feel like they were on the right side of something. Cause it was like on, on the, a- after that, totally. that's where you're getting into totally. Vietnam and whatever, but it, it's such a cut and dry yeah. good and evil in that war. Right. It, you know, cool. the bad guys are murdering, you know, Jewish children, so, you know, by the millions, yeah. you know, that that's an easy distinction. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's a little complicated in the sense, but also like, I mean, just to the very flippant level, like if I was doing a war every three years and that was the last one I won, even I'd be obsessed with it, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know, man. I saw, saw George Bush said we mission accomplished that motherfucker back in, uh, back in the dots. Uh, like, and as for the rest of World War II, it's very complicated because the British were like terrible, right? And they were doing terrible things in India and all over the place. Right. right? Uh, like, yeah. like. Like, like, not to compare and stuff, but Churchill has done multiple genocides. So it's more like World War II, like the bad guys were really bad and the good guys were also really bad. That's interesting. Uh, okay, so why, why, was the, why was the store called Hitler? I have Badass, no, apparently. I have no idea. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably true. Or may, I mean, it could be any reason, right? Like, it could be that the owner is actually like a far-right Nazi. It could be that he's just likes the word. It could be that he saw a film somewhere where someone called himself Hitler and this guy fancies himself as a badass. It could be anything. Right. I was, I was, I mean, this is not even on the level, but I, I dated a, a woman from Argentina for a while. And, or she had grown up there. And um, she told me that there was the like a really popular restaurant in town. And the name of the restaurant was something like I killed her. Like that was the that was the name of this restaurant. Uh, that's sort of what this is reminding me of on a much smaller level. Obviously, Hitler calls to mind uh, some some different. It, it's it's more evocative for sure, yeah. but also like. Why would you call? So maybe they just like the name, like you're saying. I mean, no, know? no. There's, there's definitely more to it than that. Like, there's. I mean, I, I don't know. It'd be like us having a yogurt politics. shop called Pol Pot. Oh God, yeah. But it's, but it's also more to it than that. Like, there is a major political dispensation in India, which is very clearly influenced by the Nazis. So there is that. Hmm. And. So there's a lot of layers to this stuff. And I honestly don't know at what level, what you know, what sort of influences or informs which part more. 
Is it the fact that since 1925, we've had like a major political dispensation or which has become a major political dispensation that literally like down to the fact that their uniforms are like tributes to the SS uniforms? Or is it the fact that Hitler has generally become a motif in Bollywood for mean guy or stern guy? Or is it a confluence of these factors? Well, we'll all just sit here in silence for a minute and think about that. Yes, my gut is that it's probably my very. Uh, I'm going to be very American here and and throw an opinion, even though I I know very little about the culture as a whole. But it, it sounds like pretty much any time you're looking at something like this, it's always going to be all of these little things adding up to one big thing. Um, no, no matter what yeah, what course. culture it is, so it, it it definitely feels like it's all adding into to one larger problem. I mean. Look, I appreciate your guys' like forbearance and not really going there, but yeah, like let's just be open and say it is super fucked up that this happens in India. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked like, up. There, 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 there's no, there's no version of the world in which like, hey, it's okay for these guys to be into Hitler. <laughs> no, no, I mean, listen, we we got a you know a, a bit of a neo-Nazi problem in the states as as oh, uh, I hadn't heard know, over the last over the last few years they've you know risen to the surface for some reason and um you know obviously <laughs> we we are not pro hitler here we're not pro pro mein Kampf here uh you know but uh, just what you were saying you know it's it's from from an indian perspective watching looking at world war 2 and you're like should i you know side with the people who've been oppressing <laughs> oppressing us for generations you know because now they're on you know they're on the outs with the with the giant world power you know it, it does add a, a layer of complication to it that it isn't as cut and dry as, as it is for americans to to look at it and just say it's like no these are our allies and you know the the germans are are trying to take over the world and and they're you know murdering jews by the millions we need to stop this and the whole World War thing gets very complicated, right? Because there were like large numbers of Indians who were at Normandy, in fact, places. India's got like this incredibly like old and strong relationship with Russia and the Soviet Union because like they were both essentially socialist countries at the same time. Yeah. So basically the way it kind of works is that the English are always bad, the Russians are always good, and the Americans are somewhere in the middle. <laughs> or at least this is how it used to work. Like things have changed a lot right. in the last few years. Well, I never would have imagined uh, us sitting down to talk about what would have us diving into the the, the rise of, of Hitler appreciation across the world. So. Well, you did say we'd talk about monsters. Yes. We did. That, that's true. Yeah, uh, we did say this this show goes to weird places. So uh, <laughs> that's part so of do the you charm. Think Pennywise and, do you think Pennywise and Woe f- views himself as a badass Hitler? Not even <laughs> touching that. He walks in and goes, I'm, I'm a hard-ass clown. I'm like Hitler. No, because he's sad because he got picked on. Yeah. It's a tragic well, story. Hitler, Hitler was sad because he got picked on. Hitler was a bitch. I think Hitler. Woe may have had more inner strength than Hitler. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and if you actually think about it, Woe at the end of it was a nicer guy than Hitler. That's like, true. Let, let, let that sink in. Yeah. Well, he certainly didn't well, have the means of, 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 <laughs> for of sure. Hitler. Even our Pennywise, uh, you know, the the Americanized version of Pennywise, you know, bad dude, certainly didn't kill as many people as Hitler did. I was you know, sort of the, getting the body count, don't lie. I was sort of angling towards this uh, about 90 minutes ago, but um, a lifetime the, ago. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the idea of other Indian adaptations of, of Stephen King stuff is there. The one I was wondering about specifically, is there an Indian adaptation of The Shining? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, 
not in that director sense that I can think of offhand. There might well be one which, right you know, where you have like a resort and again, like the abandoned old house with the rich guy living there. But right, I was kind of thinking something of that. Yeah, iffy there. So there's a bunch of those. Like there's this film called Junoon, which is like a really funny take on the. It's not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be scary, and this actually takes the horror elements a bit more seriously than the Ramsey brothers do. But so this is the story of like this really rich guy. And he lives in this big house. But the thing is, like, he turns into a tiger at the full moon. Mm-hmm. And then, and like a werewolf the, thing. Yeah, it's a kind of a werewolf thing. But the whole story is basically from the point of view of the woman who marries him not knowing this. And then suddenly she's in this house with her husband who turns into a tiger and wants to eat her. Well, naturally. We had a, we had a version of that. It's just called Tiger King, basically. Oh. It's trash. <laughs> yeah. You know what I didn't get about Tiger King was the end. I just didn't get the end. Like, that. I don't even remember how. This is like, like that was in peak uh, pandemic. Yeah. Escape. Go ahead. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't fucking remember anything about it hardly. So Tiger King has all this focus on Joe Exotic, and I forget her name, but you know the lady, Carol Baskin, the one he was like uh-huh. antagonist to it. And there's this third character yes. who seems like by far the shadiest character of the lot, who is this weird guy who called himself Bhagwan. Now there's some appropriation for you. And, <laughs> right? And you know, like the, the guy who like got Joe into the tiger business. I don't know if you remember this yeah. guy, but and he has all these like extremely like close to the borderline of being underage women who work for him who he also calls, who he was also like basically conducting parallel relationships with and stuff. And it's just like super right. shady. And this guy apparently is like provided tigers for all kinds of major Hollywood movies. Hmm. And somehow we never talked about him. And like, there doesn't seem to be any discussion of like, like he seemed like really shady. I think anyone involved with owning tigers is probably shady to some degree. If you're not a fucking zoo, something is probably going on there. I don't know what well, it he's is. Technically but a I'm... zoo, man. I think he that's a uh, he is yeah, he? But, he was yeah, Bumblebee yeah. and Joe Exotic were technically zoos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Joe no, Exotic no. was not a fucking zoo. That was a trailer trash dude that had a fucking big yard. Yeah, but right. like well, on, paper, on paper he was a petting zoo. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Legally, man. On paper. Yes. Yes, yes. I yes, mean, yes. people were petting his fucking tigers, so I guess it was. <laughs> Um, what other horror authors have crossed over from America to India? You got Clive Barker over there. You well, you Clive Barker is British, you, but yeah, yeah. You, know. but you, you do see you do see Clive Barker. So Goosebumps actually is huge, or it used to be when I was at the age. Like uh, R. L. Yeah. Stein is a big deal. Like for you will real. see his books for real. You will find a book, at least one of his books, in every bookstore that has kids' books. Hmm, that's interesting. I mean. Well, if the guy I, I guess I'm not that surprised by it. You know, that's sort of the... Yeah, you see some Anne Rice, not a lot, but some. Hmm. Especially... So, so for instance, like, Hollywood, like, like, films are a big deal in India, right? So, like, the moment Interview with the Vampire became a film, you knew that the bookstores were going to get the book. Wait, Interview with the Vampire released over there? The film, yeah. That wasn't too violent? Well, it's super censored, right? In the In the... In the... People oh, in, the hall, but in the cinema, but you'll you'll have censorship. You'll have like entire scenes that are removed. Okay, I haven't actually seen it, so I can't say. Well, don't watch the censored version. I can't imagine that's the better version. But that one is worth seeing, and I think I think Tom Cruise is pretty great in it. 
Yeah, and then another thing that happens is it doesn't happen for super violent stuff, but there are some like uh, theaters and stuff that are willing to get like the R and not the G certificate or and stuff like that. So they will actually like advertise on the fact that we are showing the non-censored version of this film. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you know, and then people who are really into like, okay, I don't want to lose anything, I will go watch it there. So then gotcha. they get that audience. But that's again like a really niche thing. Are Western films treated differently than uh, by the censor board? Is it just more expected that Western films will be more violent and profane or whatever? Well, sure, but they still censor the fuck out of them. Right. <laughs> like, like and when I say the fuck out of them, I literally mean the word fuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, do we have anything else that we want to uh, add to the woe discussion? Or are we we about done here? I think I'm good, unless uh, Shiv's got something else he wants to throw in there. No, I mean, I think we've spent like a lot of time talking about this show. Yeah, yes. for real. Well, this is usually the point in the program where we allow our guests to tease whatever they have coming up next. What are you working on? What do you want to plug? It's uh, You got the floor, Shiv. Ouch, that's always the hardest question, isn't it? Just ask me more woe questions, please. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'm currently working on a novel, which will be hopefully coming out like either later this year or next year, which mm-hmm. is... Um, so it's like a... How do I put this? It's a supernatural comedy, which essentially is about a paranormal detective who's a fraud. Gotcha. And doesn't believe in ghosts, but is now... Yeah, and again, because I'm an Indian, it has possession in it as a key element. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Does it have a swimming pool in it? (laughs) It actually does have a swimming pool in it. Does it have Hitler? It does not. None of my work has anything to do with him. (laughs) Except for one story I wrote like a couple of years ago, which had to do with World War II. So indirectly, it had to do with him. Fair enough. Then there's a few other projects coming out through the year. I just, as you'd mentioned, had the story come out. It dropped yesterday, in fact, in Slate, which is, it's called The Trolley Solution. That came out. And mm-hmm. for the rest of it, follow my Twitter. I keep putting stuff there. Yes, I cannot recommend Shib's Twitter enough to to anyone. Please follow him. Uh, do you want to give your at? Yeah, so I'm at NameShiv, N-A-M-E-S-H-I-V. Fairly easy to remember. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was this was a fucking blast, and I learned a lot. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Like, I'm a huge fan of this subgenre of horror, so like, I am always happy to talk about it. Well, this was great. Thank you for being here. <laughs>